Welcome to Chuck Shoot Podcast. My guest today is Robin Wilson, singer of the, the band The Gin Blossoms. Uh, the Gin Blossoms came onto the scene in the early 90s. I do remember seeing a commercial for them repeatedly. Uh, and they kept playing that song, Hey Jealousy, during the commercial. And it was so catchy that I went out and bought the cassette single because I couldn't download music then. Um, I wasn't sure if I should pull the trigger on the full album because I didn't know if it'd be any good. But the album ended up uh, having not only Hey Jealousy, but four other singles that charted. Um, and then they had a hit from the Empire Records soundtrack. Um, they had songs on Congratulations, I'm Sorry, their follow-up album. They ended up having four total top 40 hits, nine uh, charted hits from other different charts, appearances on Leno and Letterman, SNL. They had a Grammy nomination. They toured the world. They had a lot of success. Uh, but of course, there were some bumps along the way. And we'll tell the whole story and we'll get Robin's take on this. Um, plus, we'll talk about some of his other projects like with the Gas Giants, Poppin' Wheelies, and the Smithereens. Um, but of course, you know, he's most known for his work as the singer of the Gin Blossoms. And who doesn't love the Gin Blossoms? I've never met anyone who wasn't at least a casual fan. And I tried to make this interview entertaining for both the casual fan who may not know their whole story, um, as well as the diehard Gin Blossoms fan. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, I'd love to get your opinion either via iTunes review or you can reach out to me on social media. Thanks for listening. Here we go. How you doing? Hi. I'm all well. I'm all right, I guess. <laughs> How's the weather out there in Long Island? Well, right now it's beautiful, but it changes really fast here. You know, most of the time it's pretty gray and dreary. Wintertime yeah. sucks here. You know, and you know, being from Arizona, I, I miss I miss the sunshine. But uh, right at this moment, it's actually quite lovely, and the I've never seen the air so clean ever. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I've heard that a lot, that the air is much better right now because of everyone being locked down and quarantined and whatnot. All right, well, so are you ready well, to get into this? I, I want to talk, I yeah. want to start at the beginning and tell sure. your whole story. I think it's a fascinating story, even for someone who's a casual Gin Blossoms fan or doesn't know anything about your band. I think they'll become a fan after listening to this. Well, well one can only hope. <laughs> well, if I do my job right. Um, so you saw Queen on a show called Midnight Special when you were eight years old oh, yeah. and that's when you decided that's what you want to do. You want to be a musician. And the first album you bought was Queens night at the opera. Um, in fact, you have the first line of Bohemian Rhapsody tattooed on yourself, right? That is a true thing. Yeah. And then your, your first concert was cheap trick opening for kiss, which is also yeah. kind of cool because you know, people think of gin blossoms. They might not think of that kind of music. Kiss is kind of more of a, you know, harder rock metal band, but you're kind of a metalhead at heart from what I learned from my research. Well, I'm, I, I like all genres. Yes. Truly. You know, I'm, I've always been a rock and roller and, you know, I, I really don't uh, have any prejudice against any particular form or genre of, of popular music. My iPod is maybe has one of the most diverse collections of music of anybody on the planet you know so i I'm, I'm really you know i'm into a lot of stuff but basically i'm a rock and roller you know yeah, yeah. Uh, a band like cheap trick sort of defines most accurately if i could only pick one band 
mm. to you know to explain to alien visitors what is rock and roll well i would probably just play california man by cheap trick and say that pretty much sums it up you know Gotcha. Yeah, you also, some of the other influences, Tom Petty, Smithereens, R.E.M., The Cult, Replacements, Pixies, uh, Guns N' Roses, Jane's Addiction, The Cars, and also you said you like the Iron Maiden album Power Slave. Oh, yeah, that's, that's such a good album. I was working at Tower Records when that came out, and um, it was that was when I really got into Iron Maiden and saw how awesome and uh, unique they were. So, yeah, I've listened to a a little bit of everything, you know. So what age did you pick up a guitar and start playing? And then did you take lessons or were you self-taught? Well, I was writing songs throughout my teen years, but I didn't really play an instrument. And it wasn't until I was 18 that I finally picked up the guitar and started plucking away. You know, I started with a Eagles Greatest Hits songbook. You know, there's plenty of uh, simple uh, wonderful songs in there. So, um, yeah, it wasn't until I was 18 and, you know, I was just a bedroom songwriter. So how uh, do you write you know, songs if you don't play the guitar? Are you saying you just wrote the lyrics or do you like hum a melody or how would you write the, the, the tune? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. I would, I would hum the melody. I would write the lyrics and I used to record like that, just my voice singing into a, into my boom box and once my younger brother and all his friends discovered my tape when they were ditching school and smoking bong and I came home and I put on my tape and listened to it and my brother and his friends had recorded themselves doing backwards masking you know saying things backwards like uh natas bore you know which mm. is basically satan rob satan <laughs> and they used to you know and every once in a while they, they'd say nebor which is robin backwards so <laughs> to, to this day uh when when i start a video game and you get to enter your character's name in a video game i always use bore hmm. uh, in tribute to my younger brother's uh, and and his stoner friends in high school. That's awesome. So besides writing the music, you also, like you said, you worked at Tower Records, and you also worked at uh, Zia Records, which is still around, and a place called Rockaway Records, which I'm not familiar with. But was it true you were fired from all three of those record stores? And how did you get fired? No, but I I I like to exaggerate that I've been okay. fired from every record store in Arizona. But I actually I I was only ever fired from Tower Records. But I do have the distinction of having been fired from Tower Records twice. So I got the, <laughs> the same got location or a different different. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I I got fired, and about six months later, I managed to talk my way back into the job. And then about a year after that, I got fired again. So uh, <laughs> no figure. <laughs> nice. But well, what a what a great great time to work at record stores. Oh yeah, in the eighties. It was. It was really a, a classic time. And before I got the job at Tower, my, my job before that was working at a place called Golf and Game. I don't know if you remember this joint. It was one of those castles with goofy golf and video oh. games and bumper cars and stuff. So my teen years and my, my 80s experience was like a John Hughes movie. That's awesome. Yeah, I worked at Sam Goody, but that was like super corporate, even more corporate than Tower Records. I'm, I'm, I actually like Tower Records. That was a fun place to go. It was like going to like Disneyland when you're a kid, all the records and movies and magazines. 
yeah, it was, a, it was a pretty exciting place to work. And, you know, the, the staff at any given Tower Records is always really diverse. Yes. And, you know, I, you know, I didn't get along with everyone because I was a, you know, dickhead 19 year old, you know, with dickhead 19 year old ideas. But, um, it, it taught me so much meeting all these different people and everybody in the store had different tastes. So I was exposed to music. I, I wouldn't have been exposed to otherwise, you know, like, uh, at first I didn't really like reggae, you know, hmm. they would, they would put reggae on in the store and it, it, it I, couldn't really get it and then all of a sudden one day it just clicked and i'm like oh okay i i i see its value now you know and uh, also you know like they put me in charge of the folk blues and bluegrass section at tower records and so i learned all this stuff about folk blues and bluegrass hmm. and when for a while i ran the classical section there and so i was exposed wow. to to that music and you know, all the while, you know, because you work at Tower Records, we, we got a lot of free concert tickets. So, yeah. you know, I was going out to Compton, Paris to see ACDC or out to Veterans Memorial Coliseum to see ZZ Top or, you know, there was just, there were always lots of shows. And then, of course, just cruising around town to the clubs like the Mason Jar. Yeah. You know, I saw so many great, great shows at the Mason Jar, like uh, Fishbone and Los Lobos, Bo Diddley, and Jonathan Richman, and then, you know, tons of local bands and metal bands and, you know, punk and a little little bit of everything. You know, the Mason Jar was a really cool right. spot. And that's you know, where, I, yeah, that's where you saw the Gin Blossoms. You, you knew Doug and Bill from high school. Did you guys all go to Coronado? No, uh, Jesse went to Jesse Coronado. Went to Doug, yeah, Doug and Bill and I all went to McClintock, McClintock High School. Okay. But and you, I was yeah. I I vaguely knew them. Uh my my younger brother was close friends with a guy named David Swafford who was also a renowned local musician. And uh the Swaffords hung out with Doug and Bill. So I was aware of them and I was aware of their records. My brother was bringing home uh stuff by the Psalms when they were first releasing their records, which was Doug and Bill, uh, one of their first bands. And, um, and then Bill started working at Tower Records. Right. And I, I already kind of knew him, but then he got a job at Tower Records, and so we got to know each other a little bit uh, better uh, at Tower. And actually, I was working across the street at Zia, behind the cash register and the phone rings and it, it's bill over at tower records across the street. And he asked me if I wanted to audition for the gym boss. Right. But before so, that you had seen them perform at that Mason jar club and it was actually on Christmas. And that was when Jesse was the singer. You weren't in the band. Did a lot of people show up for that first show? Well, it was, uh, if I remember right, there were probably about 50 people or so. Wow. That's a lot for uh, Christmas. Yeah, you know, Doug and Bill were relatively well known in the local music scene, and some people were, you know, people who followed the local scene were excited to see uh, what their new band was all about. And I, I was actually working that day at Zia Records. We were open on Christmas Day until 9 p.m. And 
is we locked up the store as quick as we could at nine o'clock and we raced down to the Mason jar to catch the Jim Blossom show. So that was the Christmas 87. And I was in the band, um, in the first weekend of March. Okay. And then, yeah. And then you guys, you and Jesse switched places. You started as a rhythm guitar, but then you started singing one or two songs and then they finally had you switch and made you the singer. I thought that was interesting because you know, there wasn't like your ego was like, I should be the singer. They told you like, you're going to be the singer. Like, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I was, I was really out of my league as a guitar player. So that, you know, it was, uh, it was my weakness as a guitar player that led uh, to my becoming the lead singer as much as anything else. Yeah. But I had always wanted to be a lead singer. I was really, I was very relieved when they switched me from rhythm guitar to lead singer. And, you know, I was just fortunate to, you know, really find what I was meant to do in this world. Absolutely. So then you guys played a lot, you played at long longs, which I found out is sad that the original location where you guys played isn't there anymore, but you did like 165 shows in a, in a year. You played at a place called the sun club, a lot of clubs in Tucson Flagstaff and was this the same time you were you were studying at ASU in physics and geology, right? Doing and still doing four or five shows a week and working at the record store. Yeah, although I I didn't go to ASU, I was going oh, to sorry. MCC at the time. Uh, my dad was a professor at MCC, so we got free okay. tuition. Oh, nice. So I was I was at MCC for five years actually, but uh, but you touched on something that that is pretty amazing that. At the age of 23, I can't believe how productive I was. Yeah. You know? and so I was working at, I was working 30 hours a week at Zia. We were playing four nights a week in the band. I was in school full-time taking things like the chemistry and calculus and physics. And, uh, it, and then, you know, when, when none of that was happening, we were going to shows. You know, we were, right. we were going out and seeing other bands and, um, you know, chasing girls and, you know, taking acid in the desert and, <laughs> you know, just, it was just nonstop action, you know? Yeah. And then, so you guys continue playing the gin blossoms and then you got noticed at South by Southwest, the, uh, legendary music festival in Texas in 1989. And I, I read that you guys got set up with these monthly showcases in Hollywood. And so you'd have to drive to California like once a month and do these showcases at the coconut teaser. And you, you even did one with rage against the machine. So you did that for like, what, like a year or two years, you'd go every once a month, drive to California too. And then how did you, yeah. did you pay for a hotel or sleep in your van or how did you swing that? Yeah, we, we got hotels somewhat, but we also, we had a friend the, our friend, Tom DeSavia was at the time he was the vice president president at ASCAP and they were the people that that we befriended in Austin that first time and the ASCAP showcase at the coconut teaser was a weekly event that they were doing to try and help people get signed and to promote their business and so we would sleep at Tom DeSavia's house and be like four of us sleeping on the couches and the floors (laughs) and stuff and we spent a lot of time at the Roosevelt that year uh, yeah, we, we spent a lot of nights at the Roosevelt in Hollywood and, uh, um, oh, you know, hotel. those were, yeah, they, they were, they were really 
exciting romantic times, you know, and you, you kind of, when you're, when you're living it, I mean, of course it was fun and it was exciting, but you know, you, it's only with the perspective of time that you realize uh, how often it was just exactly how uh, sweet a situation it was and how, how, what we were accomplishing and what we were, what we were learning and what we were becoming, you know, it's, it's a very, very special time. Yeah. And you recorded around this time, 1999, you recorded your first album, Dusted, um, which I listened to yesterday and it had some early recordings of Hey Jealousy and found out about you. The band almost sounds like a little, like a little bit punkish, definitely less poppy than the next few records. Would you agree with that? Well, we were raw. Yeah. For one thing we were, we were undisciplined. We weren't working with a world-class uh, producer and you know the the sound of the band was pretty well formed but we were just very undisciplined in the studio and it wasn't until uh, you know we did it a few times that we began to realize okay we got to slow down when we go in the studio we were always forgetting to uh right. to knock knock the tempos back a little bit and uh, you know dusted was virtually recorded live Okay. So, you know, yeah. we, uh, you know, as, as the budgets got bigger and the producers became more world-class, you know, we just, uh, evolved, you know? Yeah. So, and this, this time you guys were drinking a lot and, uh, obviously Doug was drinking a lot too. In fact, that cost him his girlfriend, Kathy, but the positive of that was that they came, you came out with a song, uh, Hey Jealousy. And I thought that was interesting. I didn't know that originally the line was said, you can trust me not to drink but you were just so sick of singing songs about drinking that you said, can I change it to, you can trust me not to think. And how come you didn't get a songwriting credit for that? Well, because <laughs> Doug, Doug was not into sharing songwriting credit, you know, and he, right. uh, he was, he was very competitive and he looked at me as like the, the new guy who wouldn't, even be there if it wasn't for him. He used to say things like that to me mm -hmm. every once in a while. You wouldn't, you'd still be schlepping away at some record store if I hadn't come along, you know? And I was like, well, uh, you need me too, dickhead, you know? Well, yeah, I want to paint a picture of that because this is, <laughs> this is kind of like the things that you're dealing with. Um, you said in the early days it was, you guys mostly played Doug songs, but when you played one of your songs, if they were playing one of the songs that you wrote, Doug would leave the stage in the middle of the song, like to go get a beer or something? Yeah, he would, I don't remember him leaving the stage so much as just kind of stopping playing and just, he would, he would just stop playing his guitar and walk over and get a drink of his beer and he would sort of pick it back up again when he felt like it. And this was his way of uh, distancing himself from my songwriting and sort of proclaiming to everyone his superiority or whatever, you know? And, and the fact is he was a better songwriter than me. And he, I, don't, I don't think I'll ever be as good a songwriter as Doug was, but I had so much more potential than he was willing to give me credit for it. One of the things that upsets me the most when when I think about Doug is the lost potential of oh, yeah. what he and I could have could have done together. Yeah, and yeah. you know, I I know in my heart that you know if he could see me now, he would be incredibly proud. You know, mm -hmm. so uh, it's it's painful to think about 
those things, but you know, it it, it happens. It, it's just uh, that's my life. So. Yeah, you you co-wrote a song with him called "Hold Me Down," and he said that even if he liked you, he'd give you he'd give you half of the credit <laughs> for that song. And you remember the whole band was standing there, and you just—it's symbolic of how like misdirected his anger was at that time. Yeah, it really was. It was a pretty shocking moment. You know, the whole band was there in the studio with our producer, and Doug was—he was really struggling when we were in Memphis to record New Miserable Experience. He was really struggling, and uh, yeah, he, he was—he was lashing out at me, and uh, you know, like I say, it was a. It was a tough time. And when he kind of said that, um, they asked him, they were you know trying to get him to do his solos, and he said, well, I guess I'd rather just have Jesse do the solos. That's kind of when you knew it was kind of the breaking point uh, that he was just kind of giving up. And you, you said you left the room and you almost threw up. So it was kind of around that time that you knew you had to fire him. There really wasn't any other choice. Um, you were very close to him. And I heard a really, really good quote from you about Doug. He, you said that, he didn't have the strength to be kind to me because it sounds like you were really still trying to be kind to him and you, you wanted it to work, but you also, you'd be kind of enabling him if you didn't fire him. Right. And also it would ruin the whole band probably. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to know exactly what would have happened if we had done something else, but we, we felt trapped, you know, and we, sure. we, we just didn't really know what else to do. We didn't have the life experience to, to know what our options really were. And, you know, I, for a, for a while, I tried to get Doug back into the band. Right. And this is, this was all during the time that he was going around Tempe, like bad mouthing me and telling people that I was stealing from him and stuff. And I would, you know, I was fighting for him and I, yeah. I, you know, I wanted him back in the band, but it, it just, it, it couldn't work. And, um, it was an incredibly painful time. You know, I was, my friends, uh, the black moods, apparently they're on the cover of the new times right now. Yeah. Or Love this those week guys. or something. Yeah. And so Josh called me last week and he's like, Rob, we're going to be on the cover of the new times. And I was like, so excited for him and congratulations. Uh, to the black moods for that accomplishment. But I told him about the time, one of the times that we were on the cover of the new Times, And there was a quote in the article from Doug. And it was one of those quotes that they printed out in really big letters in the middle of the, of the page. And the quote from Doug was Robin Wilson is a coattail riding son of a bitch. <laughs> so wow. that was, the, that was the message Doug was, was putting out in, in those times and you know we i don't know I, you know i don't i don't want this the whole interview to be but just no, a bunch of no. negative shit no, about no, no. Doug. but know, i also but, want to clear up a misconception because he said that you guys ripped him off and all this but the uh, the truth is he signed away his publishing royalties for fifteen thousand dollars that was his this and actually it was more like the record label kind of pushed him into that right it wasn't you guys having to do anything with oh, that no not exactly. We, the publishing deal was was separate from from any of that. It was oh, okay. something that we pers- it's something that we pursued and were happy to get. Um, but what what happened was that we needed Doug to to sign away his rights to the Jim Blossom's name, and what we oh, okay. did was we ha- we. God, I don't know if I'm even allowed to talk about this. Okay. We just, 
That's okay. You know, I, well, you know, what, what actually happened was we, our lawyer suggested we withhold his, some of his royalties until he signed this paper. So we didn't actually, we didn't actually ever get his money or take his money. We just withheld some of it until he would sign these papers. It was the only leverage we had over him. And, and then we did, you know, like each guy in the band got a couple of points on the record and we gave one of Doug, we gave one of Doug's points to Scotty Johnson because Scotty was the one that was going to be out there like playing every day and yeah. uh, w- working to make the record succeed. Right. So we felt that uh, he deserved and he rightfully did. So, okay. uh, you know, uh, it was all, oh God, it was just, it's all so painful. Yeah. And it was just it's such a terrifying time. And, you know, we, we were under such immense, pressure you know just sure. these, these green green lads you know just trying to figure our way through the whole situation and uh you know i just like i say i just i miss him so much i just wish that uh, you know things had things had been different and uh you know it, nobody ever wants to fire the most talented guy in the band. Nobody wants no. to fire anybody. I thought it was you know? interesting it, that you said that you wish there was a way that he could stay kind of like a Brian Wilson type character where he's part of the band and write songs and record, but maybe just not go on the road because you knew that him on the road was not going to work. Yeah. He would have been one of those guys that would have been like peeing in the hallways at MTV <laughs> and stuff like that. Oh, uh, yeah. But you know, like I said, let's okay. let's move on okay. from, from all. I, I, I yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I don't want people to think that. You no, know, I, I spend all this time. No, 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 no. Just, uh, you know, pissed at Doug or no, wanted no, no. to grade him or whatever. But let's know. go back to the story. So anyway, so then Doug is kicked out of the band. You guys finished the record with John John Hampton uh, in '93. You made a deal with a college magazine and did a college tour. And you're do, so you're doing radio in the morning. You're playing college campuses in the cafeterias during the day and then you're playing nightclubs and you just, it sounded, it sounded like that was kind of a rough time. Like you guys kept getting sick and passing along to each other and you're just doing all the, I mean, you're just like overworking yourselves. And then this is interesting. So a VP from your label had a conversation with a VP at MTV and the VP at MTV said, if they, if you guys made a better video for Hey Jealousy, that they would break the band. And in May 93, you relaunched the video and single for Hey Jealousy and that's when everything took off. But you, I heard you say you don't like the new video for Hey Jealousy. Oh, uh, I'm okay with it now. You know, I mean, it was just, uh, you know, at the time it was kind of weird because I was posing with goldfish bowls and toasters and they had me, you know, like there was this, they wanted me to sit on a swing hmm. and uh, sing the tune. And I was just like, God, that's so corny. And, you know, I called my... <laughs> I call my manager over and I'm like, dude, should I do this? I, 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 should I be on the swing? And he's like, it's fine, Robin, just fine. You know, don't worry about it. And I'm, uh, I just trusted him. And, you know, again, with the perspective of time, yeah, I really don't have any issue with the swing shot. You you're, know? you're singing into a blender. Like, did they explain the artistic significance of some of this stuff? Or were you just like, oh, it's just weird. They just want to do something weird. Or? They're, they're just looking for, uh, you know, uh, still life moment 
you know, and those are, they, we were filming a lot of the video in, in this house and they were just using whatever props were on hand. And so, you know, I wasn't singing to the blender, but they wanted me to sort of lean in near the blender mm-hmm. and, and I was just like, you know, it's the first big budget video we had ever shot. So this is all new territory for us. And, you know, it's one thing when you're an alternative band and you're, you're, you think of yourself as this authentic rock and roll troupe playing clubs and stuff. And then the next thing you know, you're lip syncing uh, to a blender. And <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's just a weird transition, you know? I, oh, yeah. I, eventually, I became much more comfortable uh, shooting the videos. But I, you know, I still sort of pulled back because I, I didn't want to appear like I was a big show off or, a, you know, really vain or anything. And so right. there were, there were moments we'd be shooting videos that I would just say, no, I, I'm, I don't want to do that because I just felt like it's going to make me look like one of those self-absorbed uh, rock singers. And, you know, I hate those guys. Right. So at this point in 93, you guys are getting some success. How do people treat you differently? Like, do you start hearing from old friends and girlfriends that you haven't heard from in a while? Like did, what changed for the success? Well, a lot of, a lot of things change. Uh, for one thing, you, you, you also get really busy, you know, where you're doing a lot of, a lot of press and a lot of television and a lot of radio. And uh, so you're, you're being worked really hard. But mm. again, with the perspective of time, we see that the full resources of our label were behind us mm-hmm. through that period. And, uh, you know, that's, it's a, it's a great position to be in. And, you know, we were, uh, here's a good example. Once we were asked uh, by our, our label, we were going to go visit this radio station in New York. And, you know, we were exhausted and we get down there and we find out we're not going on the air. What we're going to do is perform for all the employees in their lunchroom while they're having lunch. And Mm. I was so, I was so pissed off about this. It's like, how, how, how dare they force us to, you know, be there like singing monkeys, you know, to try and impress this radio station. And, you know, but what ended up happening was the station added us into their rotation at this crucial moment uh-huh. where the record was beginning to break. And so, okay. again, you know, I was upset at the time, but now I see how the, the label was fighting for us. Right. And they were truly dedicated and they were marshalling all of their resources to try and break the band and give us a big time music career and it, it, it worked. Mm-hmm. So you, you go out, you go on tour, your, your, your record's very successful. Then you come back. Um, meanwhile, you know, not to go be a dead horse here, but you know, going back to the Doug thing at this point, Doug is not doing well. You see him at long Wong's. He calls you a thieving son of a bitch punches you in the face. And that's the last <laughs> time you see him. And then, um, he always dreamed of oh, having oh. That wasn't the last time I saw it. Oh, that wasn't. Okay. But that no, was towards no. the end. And he had dreamed of having the gold record. He got a gold record for um, the Hey Jealousy song. He hung it up for two weeks and smashed it. And then nine days later, sadly, you know, he, he had an intake consultation at uh, Phoenix Hospital, but he snuck out. He bought a thirty eight caliber pistol, pistol and, and shot himself and died by suicide. And that's, 
obviously a huge uh, moment for the band. Yeah, those were very dark times. You know, we were we were so busy, we were working so hard, and then we we'd come home like one week out of every two or three months, and we'd get home, and it was it was strange. Either people were really really excited for us, or and there was this whole camp of people that were uh, that were really negative and that really hated us, and that hmm. had, had bought in. They had bought into Doug's version of what had happened and mm. so for a while i was like the most hated man in arizona it was a wow. weird thing to to show up at my old uh hangout and for there just to be this buzz in the room uh, it was just it was a strange strange time you know but there was there was a moment in there where i i got together with doug i I had a friend oh. call him and say, I wanted, I, 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 to, I told him I really, I really want to talk to Doug there. The label is talking about releasing found out about you as the next single. And I don't want to support it. If Doug isn't into it. Yeah. And I want, I want Doug's support to release found out about you as a single. So I called my friend and within like an hour, Doug showed up at my house. I mean, he was, he was really anxious to see me and to talk with me and we we had a pretty intense conversation and you know uh, it was it was hard it was sad but you know it 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 meant a lot to me to you know to be able to talk with him and i told him you know found out about you the they're, they're talking about this as the single you know if you don't want us to put it out as a single we won't you know i won't support it and I remember he said, well, you know, you have the band. He says, all I have left is the, are these songs. That's my mm-hmm. legacy. So I do want you to release mm-hmm. Bandit About You as a single. So um, I think that might have been the last time I saw him. No, there was one other time. I, I was at a club called Ed Attic down on Mill Avenue. And I bumped into Doug and I was, I was chatting with him outside the club and then right then Lawrence Zubia showed up and sat down with us and I remember Doug looking back and forth he was sitting in between me and Lawrence and he looks at Lawrence he looks at me and he looks back at Lawrence and looks at me and he just kind of chuckled to himself and he's like Jesus Christ what a what a triumvirate you know and I'd never heard that word used in conversation before but there he was sitting in between the two guys that wow. he needed as lead singer and it it was it was a pretty special moment for me to be sitting there with with doug and lawrence at the time and one of my one of my favorite memories and so that that may have been the last time yeah well anyway so you know as big of a tragedy as that is i mean Life does go on. You guys need to move on. You do a song for the Empire Records soundtrack. The song is a huge hit, uh, Till I Hear It From You. And it's written by you and Jesse and Marshall Crenshaw. Um, so, and yeah. I, this is interesting. I heard that the girl that wrote the movie, she worked at Tower Records in Phoenix. Now you worked at the Tower Records in Tempe. Um, but do you get invited to like the movie premiere or do you have any interaction with the cast or the promotion at all? Or it seems like a lot of that stuff is very disconnected. It is. Um no, we weren't invited, or maybe we were invited to the movie premiere, and we just couldn't 
go because we were we were doing shows or sure, something. Sure, yeah, you're busy. Um, that was also, you know, like my friends were really curious at the time. Wow, did you get to meet Liv Tyler? And oh, I'm like, yeah. no. You know, we, we, we filmed our scenes in a, in a different state sure. uh, from any of the, ca- of the cast members. But, you know, it's, it's cool that, you know, that movie is really a part of the times that we were living in and is sort of a cultural touchstone in a way. And that, you know, our, our song is, you know, a big part of, you know, what was happening at the time. So, right. Well, and um, you guys you know, also, and I, yeah. also, I would say this, that we, the, the pressure that the label put on us to write a hit song. I mean, it, it was really tremendous, you know, coming out of your, yeah. your, debut record multi-platinum success and then they're like all right go write a hit for this movie and they're like all all, you know your song whatever it is is going to be like the main song of this movie go write it (laughs) yeah well that's interesting Um, i didn't terrifying yeah well they also did the same thing with your other your next album congratulations i'm sorry um, so the record was done and then the record cam- company came in and said, no, you're not done. You need to go back in there and write a hit song. And that's when you went yeah. in, back in and wrote follow you down, which did become the biggest hit on the album. But how do you force inspiration for a hit song under that kind of pressure from the record company? Like, don't you have to be inspired as an artist? Like, I mean, how do you just, okay, I'm going to write a hit. I mean, if it was that easy, I feel like a lot more bands would be doing that. Right. Right. Well, you know, I don't, I, all I can say is that we, you know, we tried, you know, that we were, we were given, yeah. given instructions <laughs> and, you know, we, we went out swinging for the fences, you know, uh, well, home run. We, I love that uh, song. Yeah. Falling you down is one of our greatest moments as a band because, you know, again, we were, we were facing all this tremendous pressure and, um, you know, we were, we were unsure if we could make another hit record without Doug. Yeah. And, and you did it, you know, so it was, yeah. Yeah. So that's why, again, I, I look at that as maybe, maybe our most triumphant moment. It's very as cool. A band. And then just, you know, like a few months into the album, you know, we, we were on Saturday night live playing that song. <sighs> just going to ask you, you know? about that. So you, cause you did the <laughs> SNL in 96 and they had some of my favorite SNL, Norm Macdonald, David Spade, Jim Brewer, Will Ferrell. Did you get to hang out with the cast at all? Or were they, were they funny behind the scenes? Do you have any interaction? Yeah, actually. Yeah. Um, at the time I was, I was friends with the director. Her name is Beth McCarthy Miller. And, uh, she was a former MTV director and Beth was really close with my ex-wife, Jenna. And Beth helped get us on the show. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we were on in March of 96. And uh, yeah, one, it was so cool. Beth, I'm coming down the hallway and Beth is walking towards me with Phil Hartman, who was the host of the show we were on, which is just one of the coolest things that I can say in my lifetime. Yeah. And so, and Phil, so Phil, apparently Beth had told Phil Hartman that I was a huge Simpsons fan. So Phil Hartman walks right up to me, shakes my hand, real strong handshake, and he goes, 
Hi, Robin. I'm Troy McClure. Yes. And you may remember me from such educational films <laughs> as Locker Room Towel Fight, The Blinding of Larry Driscoll. <laughs> and my jaw hit the floor. Wow. Uh, and then, cool. you know, yeah, I remember hanging out with Spade in the dressing room. And then at the, at the end of the night, um, Phil Hartman came into our dressing room. And he's like, you guys want to smoke a joint? And we're like, fuck yeah. So <laughs> wow. we're smoking a joint with Phil Harvin in the dressing room. And he told us a story about the time that he was a roadie for Hendrix. <laughs> so, Wait, is that a true story? Uh, yeah, true story. He was a, he apparently was a wow. roadie for Hendrix. For, it maybe it might have just been one show, but he was like what? a stagehand. Huh. And apparently the drum set started like sliding off the riser in the middle of the show. And so Phil Hartman had to go out onto the stage during the song and like hold the <laughs> drum set in place. Wow. And he says in the middle of the solo or whatever, Hendrix looks over at him and gives him this look like you're rocking now, Rody man. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That is a cool story. And, yeah, come, and you know, of course, you know, a line like that coming out of Phil Hartman. Yeah. While you're smoking a joint, you yes. were just on Saturday Night Live. That's <laughs> uh, one of my one of my one of the best stories I can tell about being in the Jabalki. Oh, for sure. Great, well, great an- night, so. another highlight you guys had that '96, you were nominated for a Grammy for uh, the song "As Long as It Matters." Now, my question for that is why. Why did they pick that song, do you think, as opposed to some of the other songs that got, you know, more airplay that were bigger hits? Is it is it complexity in the writing or like, I don't understand that kind of stuff. Why did they pick those? Do you have a theory on that as to why they picked that song? Uh, no, I, I, I couldn't. I couldn't say. I mean, it was a top 40 hit. It was the second biggest hit on the record as far as airplay goes. But I, I don't know. It seems sort of random to me. It is a great song. And, I, yeah. You know, it's the, the record companies, they, I don't know if they have like a meeting ahead of time and say, okay, I need, I get five nominations and you get five nominations and <laughs> here's, here's my, and I wonder yeah. if they don't just behind the scenes sort of divvy it all up. You know? Yeah. That's really interesting. So then, but then in 97, the band breaks up. What led to the breakup of the band? Was it just because you guys had just had two very successful albums in a row? I'm surprised that um, you know nobody, the record company, didn't somehow put a gun to your head to keep going, or you know, that, like your their cash cow in a way. Like, or you guys just burnt yeah. out on the whole music business at that point? Or, well, I think we were mostly burnt out on each other. Each other, and sure. we were dis- we we were disillusioned with uh, with the band itself. You know, and, you know, there was, by that point, we were, we were full on in show business, you know, mm-hmm. where, you know, we're, we're lip syncing on television in Amsterdam. And it's just, you know, it was this grind and we weren't, we weren't all getting along. And I, you know, I was, just, I was just tired of, of the, of the, the fight to make it fun. And, you know, uh, one of, one of our members was just so unhappy all the time, so unhappy. And it was just a grind being in a band with somebody who was just so depressed and negative all the time. And, 
um, you know, I, I finally, you know, I can remember one night he was saying, you know, just, I'm going to pretend I broke my arm. I'm just, I'm leaving the tour. Fuck it. I can't do this anymore. You guys can get somebody else. We'll just tell everybody that I broke my arm. And I told him I'm quitting the band. Wow. <laughs> and it just totally deflated his whole, you know, everything that he was upset about and everything that he was pissed about, it just pulled the rug out from under him. And, um, you know, then a, a few months later, he and I got together and he convinced me to make another record. He's like, why don't we, why don't we keep it together and, and make another album? You know, let's, let's try. And so I agreed to that. And then somehow it fell apart. You know, we were, I had agreed oh. to come back and make another record. And I remember we were playing at the Arizona State Fair and I, I asked the band backstage, you know, like, well, when are we going to make this record? And one of the guys said, nah, let's not do it. It's not going to be any fun. Hmm. And I was like, and I was like, okay, wow, pressure's off me, you know, no yeah. pressure on, uh, you know. So, um, yeah, so, I went on yeah. to form, uh, Gas, form Giants. Gas Giants. Right. You guys had a single and, called Quitter and uh, you toured with Train and... Yeah, yeah, it was uh, you know, we, we had a we had a shot, you know. It didn't didn't work out. It was a tough time to be in a rock band, and uh, you know, we we made that we were signed to A and M Records. We finished the album. It was completely mastered. All the artwork was done, and then the the record company A and M merged with Geffen and Interscope, and everything got put on hold. Oh. So our our record sat on a shelf fully mastered for a year oh, and wow. the, the whole time we were we were holding out that the management at A&M Records was going to get the reins of this new conglomerate mm -hmm. and so what ended up happening was basically they folded Geffen and A&M into Interscope and Jimmy Iovine took everything over and so all of a sudden, Jimmy Iovine is in charge of a label three times as big as the one he had last week, and so they had to they had to start like cutting the weeds. So they dropped three hundred bands in one day. Jeez! And and Gas Giants were one of those one of those bands, you know. So. Okay. Uh, but we got the record back and we were able to license it from Universal Music and uh, we we signed a deal with a, an independent label and we hit the road. So yeah. we, took our sh we took our shot opening for, uh, Train. Opening for Train yeah. and we did a bunch of shows with Kenny Wayne Shepard. Oh, I love him. Uh, Your song um, Quitter was on the, also was on the Boys and Girls soundtrack, that movie with Jason Biggs. Kind of yeah, cool. yeah, we, yeah, we, you, uh, yeah. And then you wrote. We a had a few moments where we where we got into the mainstream, but mm -hmm. it just never never fully happened. But while we're on the subject, I wanted to point out that I just re-released that record. It's available now in digital form for the first time ever, so you can you yeah. can hear it on Spotify. I just downloaded and get it the, in the iTunes store. I, yeah, I just downloaded some of the songs on iTunes. Um, but so then around that 2001, 2002, you wrote a song called "Come On Hard." And your friend heard it and said, that's a Gin Blossom song. And you guys were getting offers to reunite. So you decided to get, get back together with Gin Blossoms, right? 2002? Yeah. yeah. And that friend was Lawrence 
Zubia, actually. Singer Lawrence, of, yeah. Uh, was at my, okay. uh, Lawrence was at my studio, and then we were recording some demos of his, and I played him Come On Hard, and he said, Robin, that's, that's a Jim Lawson song. And wow. so, you know, that was kind of the final straw for me in terms of my willingness to, you know, and my desire to reunite with Jim Lawson. Yeah, you guys did a, a few more albums after that Major Lodge Victory, No Chocolate Cake. The latest one is uh, called Mixed Reality, which I was listening to today. And it, it, obviously, you've talked about this before, but you really liked working with the producers for that one because Don Dixon and Mitch Easter, who did all the REM uh, records, right? Yeah, yeah, a fantastic experience. And it was, it was kind of, I think, a really uh, positive thing to have an authority figure like Don Dixon producing the record, you know, somebody that everyone in the band respected. And, uh, it was, it was a great, great experience. You know, hell of a lot of work, you know, making a record can be mm-hmm. a pretty, pretty intense experience. You know, we were trying to get it all done relatively quick. So, you know, 12 hour days in the studio, wow. sometimes it's, it's, it's kind of like taking the bar exam when you have to like focus yeah, so intensely for hours and hours and hours at a time, you know, but uh, it, it was obviously all worth it. And mixed reality is, you know, one of our best albums. I agree. Yeah, no, I mean, I like face the dark wonder the, the single break. It's a fun song. The video is cool. You got skateboarding in Arizona and puppies. Um, I think the single, the break song almost sounds like a little bit like Roger Klein. I know your guitarist, Scott, he ended up uh, joining Roger Klein for a little bit. Is there a mutual admiration there, respect with him? Like, Sure. Yeah, yeah. of course. You know, Roger also a graduate of McClintock High School in Tempe. And, uh, you know, I, I remember the first time I saw the refreshments down at Long Longs, you know, I was just so excited that there was another great band in town and that our scene was growing and viable and just, it was a really exciting time in Tempe. Oh yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I've always had a great deal of respect for Roger. Yeah. And PH, PH is one of the greatest drummers on planet earth. Oh yeah. Do you ever go to like the circus Mexicus or the January jams or anything? No, I I never can. I've, uh, I've I've never been and I'm usually on the road. Sure. sure. And you know, I do a hundred shows a year. It's pretty rare when I want to go to a concert. That's you true. I uh, about you, yeah. you know, if I'm not on the bill, I generally don't want to be there. And, <laughs> right. Uh, you know, I it's just, you know, I'm sure a lot of movie stars don't go to the movies all the time. Right. You know? and yeah, true. I, I don't, I don't know, but uh, there have been a handful of concerts over the last decade that I was really excited about and that I actually went and bought tickets for. Uh, one me, of those was the darkness, the, the darkness at Johnny the celebrity theater. That, and, uh, yeah. Johnny, Johnny, Johnny Moore. Yeah, and oh. some of the bands that you guys have performed with, uh, lit collective soul, sugar Ray, Everclear, Goo Goo Dolls, you know, Atlantis Moore. So a lot of nineties bands, but you've also performed with like sticks, Loverboy, Charlie Daniels, Peter Frampton, ZZ top, Neil Young, and I, did you guys open for Guns N' Roses in Portland in like 93? Is that true? No. No? Okay. No. I read that wrong. That is, not, that is not true. The closest thing to that was our slot as the opening act for Melissa Etheridge and uh, Brian Adams when we, we went to Europe. Yeah. 
and we played soccer stadiums across Europe, opening for uh, opening for Brian Adams. That was a pretty exciting tour. So, do you like performing better with the same the '90s era bands, uh, or do you like the bands of other eras? Because it's obviously very different doing a show with Sugar Ray versus doing a show with Brian Adams, right? Well, you know, I've always like I've always enjoyed uh, you know having up and coming bands on the bill, oh. and there've been a handful of times where I've befriended the opening act and uh you know tried to help them in some ways there's been yeah. a handful of groups that that we've uh, become friends with over the years uh, groups like punchline is one hmm. and uh there was a band from the washington dc area called the uh, crash boom bang and these were just such a great band so much fun and i you know i'm i made a point I began to recognize, you know, when a band was really great and really had the makings uh, of success, and I would do what I could to nurture that. So there was, there's probably been like five bands that I'd befriended over the years that were up and comers that I uh, made a point to bring out on the road with us. And you know, last year we had Punchline out on tour with us, and we brought the Black Moods out on tour with yeah, us. Yeah, they're great. And um, you know, so I, you know, I didn't have a great deal of power, but I, I wanted to do what I could when I recognized something special in, in some of these opening acts. So I've, I enjoy that as much as, as anything, but it's probably the most fun to be when you're on tour with like four other bands with a package okay. that's out and doing the same uh, same bill every night you you really get into a, a groove and you know with with that many bands around there's generally more fun to be had yeah you know and you know and then they know other people so like there was a show we did in michigan on the summerland tour so summerland was, was marcy playground lit us sugar ray and everclear and um no, I'm thinking of the next year. Okay, so the, 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 <laughs> on the uh, Under the Sun tour, it was uh, Fastball, Vertical Horizon, Gin Blossom, Sugar Ray, and Smash Mouth. And Vertical Horizon uh, had Richard Marks playing rhythm guitar for them. What? For like three, yeah, um, for like three weeks on that huh. tour. And... Um, Oh, what was the, I'm blanking right now. The The name of the, the guy, he was, he's the rock singer who, he was on American Idol and he went on to like a really solid rock career. God, I'm blanking. What the fuck oh. is his name? Um, uh, he, he just uses his last name as the, as the moniker oh, for the band. Oh, the, the, the bald guy? I know who you're talking about, but I'm. No, what the hell is his name? It starts with a D uh, or something like, uh. I know what you're. I know what you're talking about. I forgot. His oh, name too. God damn it! Uh, go, this this sucks that I can't remember his name. But uh, anyway, uh, one night he showed up and oh, okay. I was drinking. Next thing you know, I'm drinking moonshine with him and Richard Marks, and you know, it's like this is a pretty cool uh, moment for me. Yeah. You know? No, that's very uh, cool. Or is there any yeah, other bands the- that you haven't performed with that are on your bucket list that you're like, oh, I really want to do a show with this band or well, I, you know, I had, I had always hoped to get an opening slot for Tom Petty. Oh. Uh, that that would have 
that would have maybe been the culmination of my uh, childhood dreams, uh, you know, or somebody maybe like a cheap trick uh, would would have been great to tour with cheap trick. Yeah, but, that would have been uh, you know, I don't really go out of my way to to meet my idols. You know, I I understand that they're busy and probably not in the mood. You know, and if they're on tour, they're probably cranky. You know, so. Uh, <laughs> Are you aware of any of the other uh, local Arizona bands? You mentioned the Black Moods. Um, are you aware of like Natalie and the Sweet Talkers or Eddie and the Getaway or some of these other emerging artists? I've heard about Natalie and the Sweet Talkers, but yeah. um, now for the most part, since closing down my studio in 2015, I've, I'm, I'm not as in touch with what's going on there. Uh, yeah, so bands in Phoenix, uh, you had that studio, it was near uh, Four Peaks, and you actually had, at one point, you had a, like a secret doorway that went directly from the studio into the Four Peaks. Um, are you a big fan of uh, Four Peaks? I know you like Four Peaks and Morning Squeeze. Is there, is there other uh, local Arizona restaurants, like when you come back in town, that you're like, okay, I got to have this. I got to go to this place. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. What are your f- uh, favorites? Well, the the... One of my favorites was Restaurant Mexico, which recently closed down. Oh, but no. that guy opened up a place out in Mesa called uh, Mr. Poncho's. Okay. So you can still get the exact same food that they had at Restaurant Mexico at this place called Mr. Poncho's out in Mesa. Nice. And so I, I eat there regularly. And then I uh, Tacos Chihuahuas is uh, one of my favorites. So I eat at Tacos Chihuahuas almost every day. Where is that? Is that in Tempe or... Uh, there's one in Phoenix and there's one in Chandler. Okay. And best best tacos in town. Just in, incredible. I discovered it by accident once. I was just driving around Phoenix and did a quick uh, Google search for tacos. And I found this place and I walked in and you could see all over the walls, you, all the plaques, best of Phoenix, best of Phoenix, best uh-huh. of Phoenix. And I'm like, shit, I'm on to something here. So uh, tacos she was and... Um, out in Scottsdale, I like to go to the Mission. Oh, that's a great um, place! Yeah, the best best margaritas in town, best chips and salsa. Yeah, they get that uh, guacamole they make at your tables. Lovely, lovely yeah. place. I I really like the Mission. So uh, you know those those are generally my my favorites, and also Waterburger. You know, I got to have a <laughs> Waterburger one. Do they not have that on the East Coast? No, we don't. Oh, no, lame. No, you got Shake fact, Shack over there, right? Though that's a good one. Yeah, yeah. But you know, I I love a water burger, and you know they don't. They're probably only in about fifteen states. Okay. So you know the Jim Blossoms, we get a pizza. We get pizza every night after the show, and if there's a water burger in town, I always suggest that we get water burger instead of pizza. So. Nice. That's very cool. Yeah. Well, yeah, you're um, speaking of Best of Arizona. I mean, you guys are in, in the Arizona Music Hall of Fame. Uh, in fact, uh, I read this article too. What do you do? You think you'd get into the National Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I read an article on AZ Central. They gave you a one in ten chance of making it into into the Rock and Roll. Hall. I don't know how they came up with those numbers, but is that something I, I you would care say about? That, that's a real generous estimation. <laughs> I think uh, no, I wouldn't expect us to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know, I mean, they've got a They've got a lot of groups to get to before before we qualify, but you know I'm I'm satisfied with the level of impact we've been able to have, and you know that we we've survived with our credibility intact and oh, uh, our and our audience. So yeah. you know I I'm not worried about uh, being in the 
the hall of uh, the hall of fame that ain't, sure. ain't going to happen right. you know but, well you, you guys yeah. have some shows scheduled uh for coming up pretty soon do you think those will be rescheduled or canceled or what do you think you'll do about they they've, they've already everything has already been uh a few a handful of shows have been rescheduled for the fall okay i don't know uh i don't think they've officially canceled our summer tour yet but i'm sure I, I don't see it happening. Yeah. Um, I, I believe that the, the last thing I heard is that they're just going to try to move the whole tour to next year. Okay. So that's uh, you know, ironically called the last summer on earth tour. <laughs> and it, uh, the headliner is bare naked ladies. And uh, we're out there with uh, total X Brockett as well. So yeah. um, that, that is going to be a really great tour when it does, happen and i think we've got a real chance to for it to be a smash success because it's a you know i think it's going to be less of a risk to put on a show with you know like a mid-level bands like us as opposed to going out and trying to fill arenas Mm -hmm. with uh, you know lady gaga or whatever right those shows are so much more expensive to produce so i would think I got a feeling that mid-level groups like us are going to do really well when this finally does uh, go back to something along the lines of normal. But yeah. at, at this point, there's there's no guarantee that there's ever going to be, sure, uh, you know, a normal again. You know, it, it there's there's at this point there's no way to predict how people are going to behave. You know, right, I, yeah. I I I can already see. You know passing around joints and shaking hands that, that shit is over you know uh, the, the world is the, the world is, is going to be you know fundamentally different when this is all all over with you know and you know I heard somebody say how after 9-11 we just learned to you know yeah. well you got to take your shoes off at the airport right. now. And, yeah. you know there just became things that became the new normal and that's going to happen in this case too where there's certain things that are just never going to be the same. And there's a real good chance that concerts are going to be one of those things that are going to be fundamentally different from now on. You know, oh, yeah, I just, really, really don't know. I hope they find a way to do it. I've also seen possibly like kind of like drive in movie theater, like a drive in concert where everyone drives in their car and watches the, yeah, God, that would suck. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's hard enough when, you're doing a show and the audience is like 15 feet away from the stage behind a barrier, you know, that it's hard enough dealing with that. Yeah. Uh, so, but you might be right. Maybe that's the only way to really do it anymore. It's better than nothing. That's all I'm thinking. I I miss concerts a lot. So yeah. And you're also, I, I, I miss performing in them. So, and you're also uh, the lead singer of the Smithereens, or you're, you're going to do some shows, and you might, you guys might even do a new album, possibly. Yeah, yeah, we're we're writing songs, and uh, we're about halfway there. So oh, nice. uh, you know, if, if concerts aren't a thing, well, records still are. Yeah. So you know, I mentioned to my bandmates, you know, if we're not going to have any income this year, then we need to release some stuff. So we're going to be. Uh, we're going to be mastering up some old demos and unreleased material that mm. I've recently uh, been able to dig up. And I don't know if you've seen the live streams that I've been doing. Yeah. And you I, have one tomorrow I, at eight thirty on uh, Facebook. Yeah. And Scotty Johnson has one tonight. 
And um, my studio is built around a really great cassette four track. And so I was able to dig up all of these old cassettes of the band and I've rediscovered all this unreleased material and um, shitloads of interviews and live concerts and things. So uh, at some point we'll be releasing a uh, collection of, of those uh, things that I've found on cassette and there's more than enough material for, you know, like mm. a 12 song uh, record. Do you think that will, I mean, you guys have such a fascinating story to me, um, especially with all the Doug drama and all that. And I heard at one point there was going to be a biopic um, with Ethan Hawke starring as Doug. Is there any any more news on that <laughs> I never movie heard that. biopic? No. no? Okay. No, I, I wouldn't want to see that. But, you know, one idea I have is to do a graphic novel. <laughs> Ooh, oh, that's right. You're a big comic book guy. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would love someday to do like the definitive Blossom story in the form of a graphic novel. That, <laughs> I think that cool. would be really fun, you know, and get like top rate, uh, top tier comic book artists, you know, like Andy Kubert or Todd McFarlane, you know. Hey, <laughs> Todd McFarlane lives in Arizona too. Yeah, yeah, Very cool. Yeah. Um, Actually, I, I I think I'd probably. You've probably heard that I've re-released the Gas Giants record. And, yeah, yeah, we mentioned that earlier. I put together a um a a video of a of a Gas Giants live concert that I found, and it was recorded at the Sport Rock Cafe while we were in limbo in 1988 or 98, uh, while the album was just sitting on the shelf at, at Interscope. And we did this concert. And so anyway, I, I had it mastered up and I put together a slideshow of photographs of Gas Giants that's going to accompany all of the, the songs. And w some of the photographs in that slideshow are the Gas Giants visiting Todd McFarlane's headquarters in oh, Phoenix, where we where we got a private tour. That is and cool. They swagged us out with all kinds of you know action figures and stuff and uh, I was I was a big collector at the time, and so it was really exciting for me to uh, yeah. to get a get a tour of Todd McFarlane Productions, and actually two of his artists uh, did the colors for the Gas Giants album cover. Oh. And anyway, so you're going to see photographs of of uh, Gas Giants exploring Todd McFarlane headquarters uh, in this. Uh, in this slideshow and any, any day now I'm going to, I'm going to release that onto YouTube. It's, it's ready to go. I'm just trying to, I was just waiting to find out when the gas giants record was going to be available on Spotify and the iTunes store and stuff okay. before I did a, but as soon as I know that moment happens, I'm going to be scheduling a, uh, like a release party and I'll oh, do cool. one of my live streams where I, tell the gas giant story and I talk about all the photographs that I use in the videos and to play some of the music and stuff. So I'm going to be doing that sometime within the next week. Awesome. So yeah, we got the gas giants. People can download all the gin blossoms albums, um, possibly new stuff with the smithereens and hopefully new shows at some point. Um, I do like to end with a charity and I know that you work with the, uh, love hope strength foundation, which, uh, this is really a great thing. They're building oncology centers like in third world countries. And you actually, you did, you do the, you do these hikes with musicians. You climbed Kilimanjaro twice and you got to hike the grand Canyon and explain to me more about yeah. that. Well, yeah. Love hope strength is a, is a cancer charity. They support people who are uh, 
who are battling cancer. So um, we've uh, funded hospitals, and we've uh, the, the the main gist of the organization. What they accomplish most is finding uh, bone marrow donors uh, for leukemia patients, and uh, it's a it's a cool thing to do. They raise money by putting together these hikes. And uh, you have to you have to raise uh, to be allowed to go on the hike. You have to raise a bunch of money for uh, the organization. Mm. And so, yeah, I've been on some really amazing adventures with Love, Hope, Strength. We've been to Everest Base Camp in Nepal, and we uh, we've bought a lot of equipment for the cancer center there in Kathmandu. Um, last year, we went to Iceland, and. Uh, uh, we did the Grand Canyon the year before that, and uh, as you said, I've been to Kilimanjaro twice, and we were we were supposed to go to Morocco hmm. later this year, but I don't think that's going to be happening anymore. Right. But uh, but it is a great organization. Yeah. LoveHopeStrength.org is uh, is a great organization, and uh, any anybody who can uh, can chip in, please please do. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to promote while we wrap up here? Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the, the Pop and Wheelies record is also available. That was uh, my concept album. I was trying to create an animated television series about oh. a rock band in outer space. And uh, I recorded the soundtrack record long ago, and I've just re-released that as well. Okay. And I'm in the, in the process of uh, getting my agency to uh, help me pitch it as an animated series to so all the likely streaming services. And so uh, cool. that also is available now through iTunes and Spotify. And uh, I believe Friday night I'm going to uh, do a live stream where I debut the Pop and Release videos and tell the story right. about the, that project. And uh, for what it's worth, those characters uh, in the Pop and Wheelies, it's a four-piece rock band from planet Earth on tour in the galaxy. And all the characters are based on me and my friends. So oh, cool. the, uh, the, the singer is supposed to be an idealistic version of me at 19 years old. The drummer looks like Dan Henderlin, who was in Gas Giants. The oh. bass player is based loosely on a couple of my friends. Um, uh one of them being G. Brian Scott of of Gas Giants and Dead Hot Workshop fame. And the guitar player of the Pop and Wheelies is based on Doug Hopkins. And he looks looks like Doug. His name is Otis, and that was Doug's nickname. Uh, So, you know, it's it's a really sort of retro concept. uh, And it's, you know, it's just a, a... potentially a really fun animated series that's a, like a throwback to uh, Saturday morning in the 1970s. So awesome. uh, anyway, that's cool. uh, that's available now on Spotify and iTunes Store and all the other streaming services. And later this week, I'm going to be taking the videos and hopefully sometime this week, I'm going to be cool. catching Netflix and Apple TV and everybody. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for doing my show. I really appreciate it. I felt like I learned a lot. It was really interesting stuff. Like I said, I think you guys have a great story and obviously a great band, good, uh, great music, everything that you've created so far. So I look forward to more. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate your time and uh, you know the interest and the support. And you know, I miss Arizona terribly, so please send all my <laughs> warmest, warmest wishes out to everybody in Arizona. Okay. I just bought an Arizona flag 
Nice. I'm waiting for it to arrive. I'm going to hang, I'm going to fly an Arizona flag from my porch every day here on Long Island. That's, um, oh, you know what? That's the one question I didn't get to ask. Why are you in Long Island? I never, I didn't ever catch that. Why you moved to Long Island? Is it for the, uh, your... Well, this is where my son lives. Okay. Uh, um, he, he needs me around to make him sandwiches and driving places. So, <laughs> so uh, uh, but he's know, a musician he's, he's too, right? Now. You're helping him with What's music? That? He's a musician, right? Yeah, yeah. Him? He's a very talented uh, guitar player. He's becoming a great singer. He can play drums. I'm teaching him how to record. And you're and teaching him how to write as well, I heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. That's so, very cool. uh, you know, it's it's great to have a skill set that uh, you know, my son is actually interested in and mm-hmm. you know, watching watching your child follow in your footsteps is incredibly rewarding. So, sure, sure. Uh, yeah, that's that's why I'm here. I'm awesome. an Arizona guy on Long Island and I'm going to be probably the only person in the state of New York flying an Arizona flag on this horse. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You stand out. That's awesome. Well, yeah, thank you so indeed. much for doing my show. I really thank appreciate you. it. And uh, definitely try, hopefully, hopefully be able to catch you guys play at some point. I sure hope so, too. Well, thanks, thanks again. You okay. take it easy and rock you too. away. All right. Bye-bye, Robin. Bye now. Such a crazy story that band has been through. I mean, I really think they could do a movie or TV miniseries. I mean, I'd watch that for sure. Uh, Make sure to follow Robin on social media or go to theginblossoms.net for more information about the Gin Blossoms music, their merch, uh, and upcoming show dates. If those happen, I'm sure they will eventually. Um, You can find the Gas Giants and the Poppin' Wheelies music out there on the streaming services and things, Amazon, uh, Spotify, iTunes, all that stuff. If you enjoyed this interview... Uh, Let me know, either with a review or you can reach out on social media. Make sure to smash that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. And who should I interview next? Uh, Let me know, because I don't even know who I'm going to interview next. I don't have anyone lined up. So thank you for listening, and I hope you have a great day or night.